you know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm R. Purcell, the founding host of the podcast. I am a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is playing the film festival circuit right now. It is going to be online at the Atlanta Sci-Fi Film Festival this weekend, Halloween weekend. And I think it also might actually be in Melbourne, Australia this weekend as well. I need to double check the dates and everything, but definitely you'll be able to watch it online. So I'll make sure that link is in the show notes. I'm Liz Manichel. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features and is currently in development and about five more. I'm a distribution consultant who also does sales. And I used to manage the creative distribution initiative at Sundance. This week, we welcome filmmaker and ex-Marine Edward Green onto the show to talk about his move from the military to filmmaking and how his life experience helped him craft the process he used to make his film within a pretty short time period. I mean... I think he said two years. It's crazy. It's nuts. 2019 writing the script to 2020 shooting it. And then it came out this year, 2021. Crazy. And he did it during the pandemic. He shot in 2020 right after the pandemic in like the summer. Insane. Ed talks about his inspirations for the story, which asks the question, is money the key to happiness? Which comes from his experience of being on the bottom of the food chain to working around some of the wealthiest people in the world. We also have an update on the IATSE strike and Liz tells us all about her short film. But first, Liz, how are you doing? I'm good, Asterix. Good (laughs) Asterix. I mean, I, like, you don't have to talk about the film in detail. You can save all the wonderful, juicy details for later. But I mean, how are you feeling and recovering after making the short this weekend? Okay, so yeah, I made this short horror comedy this weekend. How I'm describing how I feel is I say my creative cup has been filled up. Mm. I genuinely feel like it was worth the expense. The experience was valuable. And it was like a fantastic validation and... You know, when you like haven't made something for a while and you're like, I don't know if I could do it. Oh, my God. It's so scary. Who do I talk to? How do I talk to? What do I say to the actors? Like there's so many what ifs. But then you go through it and you're like, oh, I could do this. That's how I feel. I feel like a re-energized confidence and uh, gratitude for the experience. That's awesome. That like sounds fantastic. I mean, based off your uh, Twitter posts and on social media, it seems like it went swimmingly well. So it sounds like that is accurate. There's no other no. secret <laughs> hidden no. terrors or troubles. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save it for the later end of the show, but I will say that there it did not go perfectly. But I have never worked so hard and felt rewarded for the hard work that I put in. And that's what happened here is that like there are moments of just looking at the monitor and seeing the magic of the performance mixed with like the gorgeous cinematography where you just feel like filled up. And that's even if things went wrong, I still am riding that high. And, you know, you, I think you probably still feel that feeling. I hadn't felt that feeling for a very, very long time. Yeah. No, I, I definitely remember like walking away from the alternate and like, you know, on, on certain days, especially and just being like, oh, man. That was it. It was amazing. Or like, oh, that was beyond what I thought it could be. Like, oh, so crazy. And like, you know, then I think as you go into post-production, those feelings fade and you're like, oh, "Oh, the footage that was so special right when I first saw it for the first time feels less and less special. That's right. I haven't watched any of the footage yet. That's totally it. And I I don't want to really. I just want it to be and live in my head forever. (laughs) 
Yeah, there's nothing more magical than like seeing it on set, like getting it back and then being validated that, yes, it is as good as I remembered it being. You know, from there, you start to see all the problems, the issues, putting it together. It's like it might be great on its own, but when you actually put it together, it doesn't necessarily work the same way to you necessarily. But yeah. But yeah, I also long for that feeling again, but I'm definitely going to be patient Great. for my next project. <laughs> it is everything you want it to be and more. How are you though? How, how was your weekend? Good. So I didn't go to Philadelphia because I wanted to stay back and be with my family. And, you know, my wife is starting her work again this week for the first time after giving birth. And so, you know, I'm now stay at home dad mode for a month. I'm like on my second month of paternity leave and just enjoying being with my daughter every day, which is really wonderful. And yeah, I guess I don't really know how the screening went in Philadelphia. I don't, I didn't have any boots on the ground there. So I don't really know. We didn't win anything. We were up for seven awards, seven nominations and no wins. Well, maybe <laughs> because con- you didn't have boots on the ground, you know, maybe. maybe. Yeah. I, I actually said that to Beth. I was like, I wonder if I would have went, if I would have won anything. Maybe. And she's like, that's terrible. They shouldn't operate that way. But I was like, maybe, maybe they do. I don't, I don't really know. But they look better if they're giving an award to someone who came, you know what I mean? That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, I didn't go to Atlanta or Arizona and I won at those places. Well, that's so, true. so maybe just Philadelphia know. wasn't, wasn't the one this time. Was it the one? But yeah, I had a great weekend just hanging out with my daughter, just kicking back. And then, you know, now that I don't have to work, do my day job for a month, I've been able to like really focus on promotion for the alternate. Like I have all these posts scheduled through Facebook. They're all like coming out this week. And it's like all these announcements that like I didn't get to make earlier that I should have made, you know, a long time ago. And then also some new ones. I got into like two new festivals, one last week and one this week. So what's the tally up to now? 18. Oh my God. That's huge. Yeah. I feel good. I feel like we're going to crack 20. I'm not yeah, sure. I think I, will. we got like, I think roughly 20 more to hear from maybe 15. I don't know. Something around there. So I'm just hoping two more. That would yeah. be really cool to get to the yeah. 20 mark, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. We didn't get into one. I really wanted to get into in Washington because it would have been like in my wife's hometown and I would have gotten to go and bring my baby out to meet like her family. And like, I probably would have been able to convince Beth to actually come to this one. (laughs) So, but anyways, whatever, it's how, how it breaks out. But yeah, no, it's been really successful. I mean, I can't really feel, I mean, I feel pretty great. Now we're just like, we've got these distribution offers and we're trying to decide which one to take and how to navigate that. So that's like, hopefully we'll make some decisions this week and then next week start doing all the paperwork and redlining and all that. And hopefully we'll get pulled and redlining like one of your clients was. <laughs> oh, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that noise. And by the way, just an update, the clients, I don't think I mentioned, did I mention that, that a film festival let a filmmaker know a month after they were accepted that they were not accepted. Anyway, that film is back in the program. <laughs> really? Yeah. It got put back into the festival? Yeah. How the hell did that happen? The filmmaker contacted the festival director and that was advice that we had received as a team because we were talking to one of the programmers and the programmers was they were not budging. Anyway, the filmmaker contacted the festival director and like immediately over the phone, the festival director just said, yeah, you're, you know, you're back in and MCC to all the communications from now on. They say why? Was it just because they made the mistake and they wanted to bring the movie in or was it actually because they want the movie? No idea. I I doubt that it's because they want the movie. I think it's because it's damage control. Wow. 
Yeah. That is crazy. So how does your filmmaker feel after all this? Vindicated because that was the right move. They should never have told him that they made a mistake. I think that was really bad form. Even if you made a mistake, don't tell the filmmaker because then the filmmaker's entire team and then their reputation for the film itself is damaged by the mistake that you made. It's not so. Then you feel like the right move of the festival would have been to just not say anything and just keep the movie in. Yeah. And just like, oh, we made a mistake. Yeah. We have to they get one more film. Now. They get one more fan of the film. They get one more supporter of the film festival, one more person trying to shell tickets for them. And I don't think their brand is really going to be too tarnished because if they were that concerned, then they should have rejected the film. <laughs> they should have actually done their jobs properly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, huzzah for the, the little guy, for the little filmmaker whose film got in, because that yeah. is great. And also uh, one other thing for the little guy, as in us in this case, <laughs> don't forget to go to our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast and give what you can support the show. You know, every dollar is going in to the making of the show. We have some very exciting things coming out soon. That's going to like kind of beef up the Patreon, like maybe a new video, maybe some other different things that our wonderful producer, Eric, is uh, cooking up in his little studio kitchen thing. I don't know what's the cooking up. I don't know how that <laughs> analogy goes, but yeah, go check it out. Do what you can. And obviously thanks to everyone who is on there supporting us right now. You should also check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. It's an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and their top 25 writers list featuring some of their best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. But if you want to take advantage of their actual services, you can get a yearly membership for 80 bucks, which is normally $100 by using our promo code MMIH2021. Do that before November 30th, because that's when this code is valid to. And this is only for new ISA Connect members only. So if you're already a member, you can't get a discount. But for new members, you can take advantage of it. But yeah, without any further delay, here's our conversation with Ed Green. Well, Ed, thank you for joining the show today. Give us the elevator pitch for Pick a Side. Elevator pitch, Pick a Side. This world is changing. You have so many things. I'm trying to get all like, Ooh. right? The world is changing. <laughs> it's a reality between materialistic and real life. And the way the world is going in the future, we have to start thinking, what is real? What is actual happiness and success? Well, in Pick a Side, we explore those what real options, real journeys, real life situations and what people think the American dream is to what reality is. I just want to say we used to have like a YouTube show where we would share the video. Uh And since we don't do that anymore, I just want to set the scene. You were like staring down the barrel of that lens (laughs) in that pitch. Like it was intense. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) How many days did you shoot pick a side? That was 20 days. 20 grueling. (laughs) (laughs) And what was the rough budget? Rough budget, you could say 50, and that's the overall from pre to post, 50, around 50K. Wow. How did you come up with this idea? The idea was just like, I took it from things that I've experienced in life and how I value money and happiness. So I was basically born in, you know, I mean, in Los Angeles, but being raised in San Francisco, my parents going through hard times as being homeless for a little bit. 
to eventually like hustling on the streets. I was one of the people at the Pier 39 doing the handstands and backflips for money, trying to survive. And then going to the military, going in the security field and working for some of the, the wealthiest people in the world in the Bay Area. You see both sides. You see what the wealth, what the wealthiest people, how they live, what actually makes them happy. And then, you know, from nothing, what you assume what's going to make you happy. So it was kind of, that's where the idea came from. So the characters of Marcus and Cyrus, they are both me in a sense of my viewpoints at different times. And then how long did you spend on working on the film from, you know, coming up with the idea to being released? Yes. I wrote the script. I started the script in, uh, what was it? May of 2019. And uh, we started filming in August of 2020 and had it all post-production wrapped, everything buttoned up. And that was May of 2021. <laughs> yeah. I was in there trying to get it done. <laughs> It's rough. There's a lot of questions in there. Yes. Compared to all the other projects you've done, how difficult was this one? This one was by far the most challenging. Just on making movies is hard. Very. I don't know if you can curse on here. You can. Yeah. Very fucking hard. (laughs) But um, yeah, I'll say this was probably most challenging because it was me trying things that I didn't know how to do. Like I've worked on a lot of short films. I've worked on a lot of commercial work where you have a already a team in place and you kind of come in there. It's already money allocated and you can just go in and be like, hey, you're the director. And you're like, cool, let me just read up on a script and let me go. You just have to play your part. But with this project, it was everything where I didn't have this gigantic team of people to go to beforehand. I wrote the script. I had to figure out, okay, let me look for people. Let me try to get all of these in put everything together and finalize it and really learn the proper way of doing it. Not kind of like, let me just run and gun guerrilla filmmaking, how we would do our short films. We just going to go to this location and shoot. If we get caught, we're going to find a new one. This was like, Hey, I have to do all of this stuff and make sure that everybody that's a part of this team is covered. So it was definitely hard in that sense of trying to navigate and learn how to do it all. Okay. I, um, Oh no, go ahead. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> I really want to know about the transition from the Marines to filmmaking and like was filmmaking before and then came back or tell us about that relationship. Yes. I'll say filmmaking was definitely before. And it was something that I picked up as a kid. We have a big family. So us being on the streets, when you realize like you're hungry and you have to walk and I'm walking with my parents and we're asking people for money. Sometimes you might see somebody that you go to elementary school with and you want to be kind of tucked away. So your parents, you kind of you pull their hand down a little bit and they know, OK, that's somebody, you know. So then we're going to turn the corner and you don't ask them. But that reality was something that you didn't want to live the entire time. So you would just come up with stories in your heads. And I would always have superhero ideas, sci fi, this and horror film that. And I would always come up with these stories. And me and my brother would actually tell each other stories. And then I would as a kid, I was it was, you know kind of dating myself a little bit, but I was like, man, I want to be on a Jay Leno show and just talking about, you know what I mean? Just getting interviewed about the movie that I did. And like, it was always this thing, but I didn't know how to make a movie. You know, as a kid, you would see a movie and you're like, I want to do that. Now, I don't know what the, the nuts and bolts is and building and creating that, but I always wanted to do it. So when I transitioned and I eventually got into the Marine Corps, I knew the Marine Corps was something that was going to 
get me a certain structure, but at the same time, it was going to allow me to be able to have this schooling paid for Like you hear, Hey, you can get education covered. You can get these things. So I didn't say I didn't go into the Marine Corps for that reason. But when I was there, I was like, you know what? It's a possibility that I can actually use this Marine Corps the GI Bill and the, the VA loans and all of these things to go and pursue my dream. And then that kind of, when I got out the Marines, I went to Academy of Art University, San Francisco to be a filmmaker. So I was like, I already have a bunch of stories now and I need to understand how to actually create them. Like, how do you make those things happen? So that's, you know, I mean, a kind of transition to it. Holy how long shit. were you in the Marine? <laughs> before? <laughs> This is holy uh, shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. That, I, I echo that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was eight years. So I joined right after high school in 2000 and got out in 2008. So I've been through, you know, I, I kind of hear this a lot. Yeah. I've been through like four times in the Middle East. I've been in a during war, it was in Egypt. I've kind of been in, a, I call it the sandbox. Basically every place where it's desert and which you don't want to, I've been there and been through that and learned. Honestly, a lot of these things have stuff to do with the way I view when it comes to filmmaking, because I just feel like in, in my life, I've been through so much of what I saw and I experienced that when I want to tell a certain story, I'm telling it through a certain emotion that I felt at those times. And from the, being on the streets and being homeless to going into the military and going through war and then getting out to going to schooling and then going to all these things, all of these things. I, I'm a real big observer. I'm a real big like harnessing what you feel at that time. You know what I mean? And, and really trying to express myself through what I've been through and experience and not like sugarcoating it. I hate to sugarcoat things. It's like, this is what it is. This shit is hard. We're going to probably lose, but fuck it. We're going to have fun while we're trying that kind of thing. And I'm always just going to go for it. And it's just, that's the kind of life that I, that I live. I want to really go out there and, and make those things happen. Well, and you mentioned genre films, right? So yes. a lot of things more in an escapist world. So yes. the stories that you tell, are you transplanting war life or your early childhood and disguising them in a genre film or how, what is, can you describe the relationship yes, of yeah. the truth to, to the fiction? Uh-huh. Well, I'll say when it comes to the heart and soul of each character, I try to actually ground them with something real that I've been through because it's things that's reality is what people can relate to, especially when it comes to characters, because they'll have real emotions. They'll have a real heart or you know, even if they're evil, it's something actually behind that that they became like that. Now, I like to throw all the glitz and glam and the fantasy and the fake things that's not necessarily real, because the reality of it is we want to watch a movie that's going to be interesting. I mean, if it's just a movie and it's just talking, nothing's happening. Don't get me wrong. They can be speaking on something that's very important and very valid and it has some truth behind it. But if it ain't nothing that's going to catch my attention, I tend to kind of just let it be kind of in the background until something interesting happens. Does something get shaking, something bang and hits like what what's going to make cause my attention to it. And I'm not saying that that's how all films are going to be. And I definitely look at pick a side where I have those moments where we got a this conversation, this talk is something building. And that's I definitely try to make sure that the characters are based on of, of real emotions and something real of probably what I've been through and experience. And then you put them in that world where that is tested. Now, the things that they're tested by, that's where the fantasy and things come from. 
So just based off your, you know, your history of being homeless for a period, like where did your movie inspirations come from? Like you talked about wanting to be on the Jay Leno show, but like, where were you watching movies? Where were you watching TV? Like, how was that coming into your life? Yeah. Well, it's, it's just like you hear, like, first off, I looked at a lot of billboards. I, you know, your kid, you just see a billboard, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you see it's coming soon. You just like, man, damn, that looks like it's going to be fucking awesome. You probably pass by a, a store and they have a TV in a window. You know what I mean? You got a blockbuster and they're playing a trailer. And now it's not like, you know what I mean? I'm not going to sit and say like, oh, I was on the streets and homeless for 20 years. Like, it's not that. But we were going through Section 8 housing. We were staying with aunties and, you know what I mean, that in the Patrol Hill at time until Section 8 came. And then we could have a place in Hunter's Point. And then we kind of went there. And just that whole thing, you've had those pockets where it was like, hey, you know what? We're out here. But my parents never made it look like that was something bad. I never looked at being homeless as bad. It was an adventure for me. But when you have those other adventures, it's what you saw. So if we had the chance to see a trailer or if we had a chance to sneak into a movie theater, you know what I mean? I saying that now, like you're filming, you want to it's like, yay, hey, but you know what it is, <laughs> right? You had a chance to sneak into a theater or if your parents know that, guess what? They got the welfare check and that check gave them enough money for them to try to do something that have you enjoy. Hey, we're going to go check out a theater. We're going to watch Boys in the Hood. And you're like, oh, what? We're going to watch this movie. Those little moments was real happiness and joy. And me saying like, I want people to have that whole like escapism where they can go and, and they could be going through anything in life. And if you sit down for this hour and a half, two hours, whatever that film is going to be, where you can escape your reality, but you can still have something attached to it that you can actually relate. So when you leave there, you hopefully took some, some real information from the film or it just made you escape. And it's like, Hey, guess what? It's just a bunch of people chopping people's heads off or whatever. But you know what I mean? That could be whatever niche that make you feel good. And that's kind of the whole thing. I look at films. I have a lot of stories to tell and I want to be able to let the world see them. You know what I mean? Love them or hate them. It's just, it's just my ideas, my thoughts. And if I can let people in on that, it's, you know, I mean, it's amazing to me. Was there one movie that you remember feeling that way during that movie? Oh, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's a, it's a few of them. One thing is I would say is I guess it's hard because I don't want to like pick one because then it's like, oh, but that was one, but you also mentioned this before. Like, it's definitely a lot of movies. One thing that stood out to me, I remember this is when we, I think we we're in like Hunter's Point and we we're watching uh, the film Glory. You know what I mean? And seeing that my dad, he would always talk about, you know what? Hey, if I fall, who going to carry the flag? Cause you know, you have that moment. So they started being things like you're going to go through something rough. And you saw how they was um, basically you had the 54th when it comes to the, like these first black military personnel and the way that they move and Denzel stealing some uh, food at night, then getting whipped in these moments. And I could see it, but it was powerful. You know, I watched the movie and I cried, you know what I mean? I was like, man, even though I know that it was based on some actual facts, you know that they took the liberties of making it more entertaining and keeping things. But visually, that film was one of those ones for me where I was like, man, this is something deep. And if I could tell something that can get somebody to shed a tear, that means that it was something emotional behind it that caught them and they can probably relate to. Or it's something that, you know, I mean, it can inspire someone that who knows, you know, what I mean, but I can also talk about uh, Michael Douglas, the game. You mean like, cause I'm a big David Fincher fan, but those little things is like the structure of you going through this where you don't know exactly what's going to happen next, but when it unfolds for you, it's 
it's inspiring. It it takes you to another place. And those always been. But at the same time, I'm a big superhero fan. I like Star Wars. You know what I mean? I like so it's like so many different <laughs> things, but they all have their own place. So I can't just say like this was the one movie, but they all have their own places that really got me to to where I'm at. So I want to talk about pick a side and yes. bringing this movie into the world and, and kind of in a relatively quick time frame too. Like you start, you start writing in 2019 and now it's out, you know, 2021. <laughs> so talk to us about like, you know, why you decided to approach the feature in that method and how you were able to execute. Yeah. The reality of it is uh, some, I would break down the way I operate is I'm not a perfectionist in a sense of nothing's going to be perfect. And it's just about getting things done. Now, does that mean that it's going to be your best work? No, even in Jaws, the shark was broke and they had to come up with something else, right? It's so many things we can start calling out in films. My thing, when I wanted to go into making Pick a Side, I wanted to initially start off with a film that I know that I can shoot with the budget that I'm going to have. And I didn't have a big production company trying to back me. It was, you know what I mean? I knew that in the world, if you wanted something done, you got to go do it. So I was like, hey, I've done a lot of short films. I've done a, a bunch of commercial works. I, I do, my job that I work for right now, I'm, I'm the head of video production and we shoot all of these. So I'm, to me, I'm like, I know every aspect of how to complete it. And right now, I know me. I wanted people, if I'm going, it's about getting it done. So I'm going to write this script. If I focus on, is this the perfect script? I went through, I think, six or seven drafts. Now I can continue. I could have went through 40, 50. You could constantly just go through and will you make it better? Yes, you will. I'm not saying that, but you're not doing anything. And the hard part is actually execution and doing it. So I was like, I did it. I went through some review cycles with different filmmakers and people I know with my wife, with my brother. And then I'm like, this is where it's going to be. And now I know that my grammar is not the best. I, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know what I am, but I know what that is, is those are my strengths from knowing who I am. So this is the script. It's complete. Now, and I have to make the next step. The next step, I got to build that team. So when I really look at those things, I'm like, all right, I need to find people that are better than me that know what they're doing at these certain things. Now, I only have this small budget. So I have to make this work. That means I'm going to be wearing multiple hats, which everybody say that, but I'm literally going in there and I'm like this, what I can't afford, I'm not getting. So this is what I'm going to get. I'm going to make sure that I have a DP and I can be able to give the DP all the tools that they need. And then I want to make sure of this when it comes to assistant director, I didn't have one. Guess what? I know I would need that, but I can't afford that. So I'm only going to try to make sure that my team is properly equipped with what they need. And me, hey, I've been on the streets. I've been in war. I can go through it all. I can suffer to make sure we get this done. I know it sounds I love that you're like you're comparing a film set to like. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's in a sense, it's that. You know that, hey, we got to get it done. And how can I strategically plan around the things that we don't have? Well, if somebody, you know, I mean, I was a platoon sergeant in the Marines. I'm going to eat last after all of my Marines eat. If I got to go, if we all got to go walk 30 miles, I can't be the one passing out. I got to be able to lead from the front. I got to make sure that we pick up whoever is the, you know, I ain't going to say the weakest link, but whoever is at the, the least on there, we make sure that we all complete it. So in taking on uh, pick a side, I knew that I was going to go in. And if anybody had to feel the worst and the most pain, it was going to be me because I'm going to lead from the front and nobody will see 
in my face that I'm quitting and nobody will see that I'm stopping and I'm going to take on the, the biggest burden. But to have the team, a good team that can make sure that they do in more than what you expect. Oh, it lightens the load and it feels great. And that's like, ultimately, it's building that proper team. And I think that's why I, how I kind of approached it. And I knew that the longer I postpone it, the more things are going to come up, the more money you're going to need. You know what I mean? It's the more chance that people get to actually back out of something because you start having people say, hey, I'm going to be a part of it. When are we shooting it? Four months. Whoo! <laughs> you hope in four months that you can continue but if you said a year, oh my God. So I knew of like, let me set a date and I got to stick to that. And then COVID happened and you're like, oh shit, I got to learn something else. And then you have to, oh, we need a COVID compliance officer. What the hell is that? And so you're just constantly building on what, but I knew that I had to push forward to get it done. And that's the only way that it, to me, I felt like it would get done because a lot of people procrastinate. A lot of people will talk about what they're going to do and they feel good about saying they're going to do something, but execution is what actually gets it done. And I, I kind of went in there with that mindset. Can you talk briefly or, or at whatever length you'd like <laughs> about the budget and how you landed on that amount? I mean, was that the money you had access to or was that what you deduced was the lowest number you could possibly do this film for? That was the money that I have access to. Now, the way I did that, just to kind of go into the, the budget for the past two years of building up to the film of shooting it in production, I went through and I all the money was is raised by me as no investors. I literally was on Craigslist. I'm taking everything. <laughs> if I see somebody, hey, we need this shoot 50 bucks. You know I mean, I've been doing it already for a while and I wouldn't do anything for 50 bucks. But at that time, I'm in hustle mode. I'm back on the streets. I'm going to get everything. I'm dropping my rates on doing, you need a video shoot. I normally will be this great. I'm cutting it in half because everything that I'm making is going towards this movie. The one thing I wanted to do is I didn't want to put my normal income from my nine to five towards the movie. I wanted to make everything. And then whatever that is going to show me that I have, that's what I'm going to make the script and kind of make everything kind of lean towards. And originally I was thinking, hey, maybe 35K. And then after I started breaking things down, I'm like, oh, that is nothing. I, we're not going to do anything with that. And then I just kept hustling hard. And that budget kind of I landed on it because I got to that point. And I actually made a little bit more than that. But I, I, I landed around there because that was close to the scripts done. And I wanted to start shooting. And I said, now let's just see how can I make this work? And that's kind of what I, well, I landed on that. It's probably not the best way of approaching things, but I think that when I hear stories, sometimes when people say, and I've, 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 I'm a research junkie, so I'm looking at everything and I hear people, I'm an independent filmmaker. And then I, I was trying to figure out how to raise money. The cool thing is I knew this lawyer and he gave me 200 K I'm like, already, I'm like, what the, I can't even listen to the rest of this. Cause that is not, I don't know people like that. Now it's cool that it happens. I am happy for them. But the reality of it is my brothers and sisters, everybody is working their day to day jobs, trying to survive, especially living in the Bay Area. So to me, I'm just like, I got to make all of it. Now, don't get me wrong. I had people that want to invest 5K here or 2K there. And I know I could have did that. But to me, I was like, I might follow my face on this. Hmm. This might not happen. But I know with my drive, it's going to be done. I don't know if it's going to be the movie that we originally go into with, but it's going to be a full feature and we're going to get it done. 
So I wanted to take all the risks in the sense of I'm going to put every, all of my funds on it. And I just want to build a team that understands the journey and how, what we were we going for. And I want to make sure that they are, you know what I mean? That they get to shine and put them in their best light. And everybody that worked on this film, that's the reasons why it got done because they came in, they knew my mindset and they like led and pushed hard and it, it came through that way. So I just want to clarify your fundraising procedure. So you basically, you have a day job, a nine to five job that you do. And then in addition to that, you'd go on Craigslist or wherever else and you'd pick up any other additional job you could get. And you would just squeeze that into your schedule and you would just raise the money by doing those jobs. Yes. Uh, Damn, man. <laughs> yes. What I did was as on, on Craigslist, I went to things called like smart shoot where you can basically pitch and people can come up there. Well, we need this thing done. And it's like, it's ridiculous. I, everywhere you can go where you can try to find. And when I say I'm on Craigslist, it don't necessarily have to have to do with video and creation either. You know what I mean, I'm willing to, if you trying to move your couch for 50 bucks, I got a truck. I can help. I'm a little, I'm a little strong. I can lift. Wow. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's basically, I, I was calling it, I'm spraying, I'm spraying it down. I'm getting all the money. So wow. it, it was on, on those things. I told my wife, this is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be building this up. Hey, I'm not going to be over to go hang out and have fun with everybody on the weekends, every weekend and go drink this weekend. I'm working. So it, that's what kind of is set it up. It was a lot of that. And then I have gear as well. So I was renting my gear on like ShareGrid. Uh, so yeah. I'm renting gear. I'm doing shoots. I'm doing anything it what it can. I'm lowering rates just to make sure that everything that I push, you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, you do a shoot. You do make some good money. That feels great. Yeah. All that, everything. It ain't like, oh, I'm going to put 50% on. No, that entire thing is on the movie because that's the goal. And how long did it take for you to scrape that together? Two years. Dang. Yes. Wow, man. That's amazing. That's like a little bit less time than it took me to raise money for my movie, uh, doing it more the traditional way yes. where you're just trying to find people. I also raised a little bit more than you did, but yeah. still it was, it, it, yeah, that's amazing. What a, yeah. what a, what a, what a, that, that really goes to show people you can do it. Cause I talk to people about all the time about raising money for movies. And I, I try to use myself as an example. It's like, I don't know anybody. Like I don't have any connections. I don't have any access to anything special and I was able to do it. So I know you can do it. But then hearing you, it's like, look, this guy, he just went, he just went on Craigslist and he raised the money and he didn't have any, he had a little bit of gear and not everyone has gear, Yeah, but still it's like, you can get it done. So just think, be creative people. You can raise the money. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely love preaching that when I, when I hear people say, well, you know what? I only have a, a T2I or I got a cell phone and I'm like, all right, cool. Have you been shooting anything? They're like, well, <laughs> you know what? I need a million dollars. Like, wait, relax. It would be nice to have that million dollars. No filmmaker would be like, oh, I don't want a million. No. If I had a million dollars, yay. I get it. Hey, we can have two or three cameras for this. That's awesome. The reality of it is you're still you and whatever situation you're in, you have to make something happen. And everything else is excuses to me. And they can be real life things. But to me, they're excuses if it's stopping you from doing your goal. You know what I mean? Like what you want. You know what I mean? So it's kind of one of those things. You should welcome failure. You know what I mean? I love trying to go out and fail because that means I'm trying something. That means I'm trying something out of my comfort zone. So I, I literally approach it, it that way. And making pick a side, I feel like, yeah. When it came to the raising of the money, and I know that that's always like the majority of reasons why a lot of films don't get completed. And I totally get it. I, I have filmmaker friends and they're in LA and they're like, man, I was trying to do this. 
We needed a budget of 450. We couldn't raise it. So it's getting pushed out. And now I got to go to this price. And then that kind of just five years later, six years, you don't hear about it no more. Something else come up and they're trying to do that. So to me, I'm like, I've heard investors backing out. I was like, I don't want it to be on anybody else but me in a sense of the funds go, you know I mean, and it's going to limit certain things. But what it also do is it's going to be how creative can you get with, with what you have? You know what I mean? So. Well, and I heard in our opening questions that you did, I think you phrased it as 20 grueling days. Is that the, yes. exact, <laughs> and I, I want to like unpack that tiny bit because usually if you're in the micro budget space, you have seven days, 10 yes. days, 12. So you, you stretch out to 20, which is what we should be doing. I think actually more days is really beneficial for indie film, but how, how, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the way, the way I did that is, and uh, I know that like, it's interesting now, like the IATI and all that stuff is starting to come prevalent. But one thing is I know from working on set, being a grip, being a gaffer, being a DP and doing all these things, the hours, I was trying to make sure that we were doing between eight to 10 hour days, sometimes 11, but we weren't doing these crazy amounts of hours per day. I kind of went into it with the approach of, okay, I'm going to have to rent a location. And this is also some of the locations, a sidetrack, a side note to me, some of the locations I'm finding them off of Craigslist, right? So I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if they should sponsor me or something, but <laughs> right, I'm like finding warehouses on Craigslist. You can rent out this warehouse for, you know, like these are leasing and renting out warehouses for a month. And it's like the lease is going to be 2,400 or $3,000. Well, I'm just, I'm reaching out to one. I'm like, you know what? It's time of COVID. Not a lot of people is renting. Can I give you $800 for five days? And they're like, well, we really want to do a leasing. I'm like, well, when was the last time you leased it? When is you think it's happening right now? This is, this is COVID. <laughs> I just want it for five days. I'm not even, I'm bringing people in here and we're just going to be shooting a movie. Like that's what we're doing. And then let's write, well, what about you got to have, we need the general liability. We need this, but yeah, we can do all of that. I just want to make sure that I can get this. Let's put this in paper. And when I knew I had five days here and then I rented an Airbnb out for five days, I knew that I can try to break down the way I shoot this, where I can have everybody kind of cover where now at least I have this warehouse and we have restrooms in there. And I'm like, cool, we have a location indoor. So I have this for five or six days. I would normally try to have it for six or seven. So I have a day where then afterwards I can clean up and go through, you know what I mean? kind of work that way, but it just all kind of flowed. It was a lot of talking and hoping for the best kind of thing. Yeah. So when Jason you know, introduced us and was like, okay, you really got to have it on the show. He, he was like, gotta have it on the show. You gotta have it on the show for a, cu a couple of times. And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get him on. We'll get him on. But the thing he said was you, you really brought your, your military background into the film set. You talked about it a little bit, but the way that your whole philosophy, the way that you lead, but are there any other specific things that you did on set that came from that background? I would say ultimately my biggest thing is, and this is how I was, you know, I mean, when I was in the military, it's about letting people have, show their real, their true potential. And especially when it comes to a lot of indie filmmaking, and I've, I've been on a few of them. You know I mean, and I've done a lot of shorts, but I'm just saying a few of them. It's almost like people are saying, hey, you probably don't have that much experience with being grip. And then they try to like micromanage them. To me, I'm in there like this. Hey, you're grip. This is literally what my expectations are. And I want you to like show me everything that you want to do, because some of these people, this is their first time of working on a feature film. 
is like the star Shamarki. This is his first feature. This is his, he hadn't done any short. He does some commercial works and he's the lead on this movie. And it's because the way I was talking to everyone, I pretty much went through, this is reality. We're all trying to do something. We all have dreams. This is a chance for us to make that dream come true. And I'm not trying to button you down. And if you feel like you can fly, I want you to fucking fly. And the good thing is on set, I'm not, Hey, this, 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 this. No, it's not that. I'm like this. Hey, we all here to have fun. We're making movies. Look what we're doing. We're making a movie. This is dreams right here. So on set, I can make sure that everybody understood. We're just here to have fun. It don't matter if this is your first time on an actual set. Guess what? I'm learning shit while we do this. You know I me mean? and going in there when it comes to everyone, I'm talking to everybody. I'm keeping everybody motivated. But at the same time, the group that I had there, like you mentioned, Jason, I said, hey, who do you think? What do you think you'll need if we have to go minimal? Because I want to make sure that you have your stuff covered. He said, if, hey, if I can have an AC, if I can have a second AC, if I can have this, I'm like, well, this is my budget. Let's see what we can work. Find something. You let me know. I'm going to audition these people. We can talk to them. He brought Kelsey and she is amazing. You know what I mean? And then she was like, hey, I got somebody to probably want to intern and just to be on a set. They can probably only show up for four times, right? Like Eric. And then I'm like, yeah, cool. Hey, I want to make sure that they're good. You know what I mean? I have my, my sister, Mickey. I'm like, hey, you're going to be my associate producer. This is what I need you to focus on, right? These are people. I have my sister in it. You know I mean, finding everybody, it was like everybody that was there is hard charging people. But anyway, so I made sure that, hey, if you got a group of uh, individuals that already want to win, they just need to like show them, give me the opportunity. To me, I'm the one that's saying, hey, guess what? This is your opportunity. I'm not holding you back. I want you to I can light this shit on fire. Like, you know, what I mean, and everybody did that. And I think if you give people that chance to really do it, that's how Pick a Side got created. That's the reason why it got done. And we were able to function with doing those eight to 10 hours. I think we had one day where it was like 11 to 12 hours. Maybe it was a lot of you come in. People was excited about being there. I was telling jokes. I'm joking around. I'm not, I'm not a, you know, but I'm just, this is what it is. We can look at it in a sense of feeling the pain and saying, oh man, we don't know if we'll get through this day. Or we can say this, Hey y'all, guess what? It's a time of goddamn pandemic and we're here playing dress up in makeup, take coming up with a, a story and then really trying to do it. We're all doing something we want to do. We want people to see it. And I just feel like, okay, I can steer that ship. I know how to steer that ship, but it wasn't like I had to do a lot of steering when you have people that's like, everybody could step like Jason could have stood or say, Hey, you know what? I can take care of this portion right here. I never had to look one time and say, Hey, Jason, what's up with the camera choice? What's up with the lens choice here? What's up with the lighting? What's up with, <laughs> can you talk to Alex? Is it? No, it was never that. We've already had this whole discussion leading up to it. And I was so comfortable. And Jason's just a way better DP than me. So it's like me talking to him and seeing his work. I'm just like, oh, shit, I'm happy Jason's here because he's going to make it happen. And then talking to, you know, like Vinny and Alex and hearing their thoughts. I'm like, man, these people are experts on their stuff seeing the way Shamarki and like uh, Tara and, you know, I'm not gonna try to call everybody out, but everybody in here knew what we were going for. And it wasn't like I had to go over there and say, Hey man, what the fuck you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, Hey, guess what? We're still here. It's another day. Let's get this shit done. It definitely was one of those things. And that's one of the things that I did learn in the military. It's about, guess what? When it's pressure, let's say you're in war and something's happening People are going to panic. But the reality of it is, there's nothing you can do about that. Like you can't change how somebody's going to feel in a sense of the situation that they're in. But what you can do is lighten up and show them the better side of it. And the better side of this was we're making a movie. 
You know what I mean? And everybody's getting that chance to make that. We might not have all the gear we want or all of the, you know what I mean? The whatever set design, because we don't have the funds for it. Nonetheless, we're still making a movie. And that's kind of, you know what I mean? I feel like that, that kind of glued everything together. Everybody came in there. It was definitely one of those things where I was just like happy that that team came together and, and us making it happen. I have a final question on my end. I'm sure Alric probably has one or two more. I always do this. It's not fully formed. I'll just start talking and see what happens. So you leave the Marines, you go to the Academy of Art, you're planning this, this career in film production, which is, by the way, in terms of indie features, is one of the least lucrative jobs you could ever go into. Can you talk a little bit about going into a career that is such a gamble, considering everything you've been through before? Yeah, I definitely can talk about that. I'll say the one thing is, and I think everybody that was a a part of this film, they all understand because I kind of convey this a lot, is that me making pick a side is not for me to make money. I'm a storyteller and I'm a creator. And it's sometimes, and this is like I said, when it came to like the pitch of the materialistic, what do people value as far as like money goes? And to me, it's not about the money. It's about being able to do the things you love. Now, that overall, to me, is the biggest thing. As a kid, I want to make movies because that was when it was dark. The reality I was going through, like cinema, storytelling, me talking to my older brother, him telling his stories. We just getting lost into this whole idea of the what if kind of thing. That was it made me feel good. So I want to be able to try to pass that type of joy. It's another reason why I wasn't asking investors for money, because ultimately I'm like this. I'm going to build up all of this money. I don't care if I don't make, if it don't get complete because ultimately I didn't lose anything because I'm getting to do what I love. You know what I mean? And that is the main purpose is like, sometimes people say, why, why would you want to do that? Like, what would you go into? It's not lucrative. First off, majority of indie films don't make their money back and you have this stuff. But I'm like, are you looking at it from the term of money? To me, I'm looking at the term of, I got to finally do what I said I want to do. And you can't put a price on that. You know I mean, so that is one thing I'm not going to make this part too long, but I do want to say this one story and this sticks to me a lot. When I was doing executive protection for a billionaire, when I say a billionaire, I'm not going to say the name, but if I said the name, people would know who this person is. And I was working executive protection. I'm security for this person. I'm at their house and it's New Year's Eve. And this person, like I said, billions, right? And I'm working and it strikes midnight. And nobody's here at this property except that billionaire by himself. And I'm there with, I mean, how many other executive protection officers and people are there. And then they called, he called me. Hey, what's up, Ed? How's it going? I'm like, Hey, how's it going? What can I help you with? I'm not just seeing everything going good. No, nothing crazy happening. No, no, it's been good. It's kind of quiet on the phone. And I said, happy new year's. And then he, he was, oh, oh, thank you. Hey, happy New Year's. I was like, all right, anything I can help you with? No, 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 good. And I hung up. This is somebody that's a billionaire. Now, when you think about life and you think about what you're chasing, if you think money is the be all end all, I can clearly tell you and show you from experience that it's not. So those things stick in my head. Do I save the money that I, I can get on Craigslist and try to hustle and grind and make all this money? But what are you doing with it? You know what I mean, during a time of a pandemic, when some people didn't have jobs, 
they made money on this production during a time of like people feeling down, they got to still work and do their dream. And I'm not saying like, Oh, this is for them. I got to do my dream and they got to help me do it. You know what I mean? Meeting Jason, meeting all the people, they all made my dream come true. And I'm happy that I can help them that made theirs. But at the same time, they was helping me and they all did this. And to me, that is the value. You know what I mean? The value is that you have big movies out there right now. And those movies, you're going to have people that's going to be 50, 50 on if it was good or not. You know what I mean? Everybody going to have their opinion. That's cool. I, I like that. Uh, you can have an opinion on pick a side, but the fact that you do means that I'm out there and people get to see it. And that's all I want. Wow. Amazing. That was such like a great final answer. I hate to ask another question, but I have to. <laughs> so for the distribution, I want to know about your approach. Did you do film festivals? Like, how did you get the movie out there? Like, and what was your strategy for that? Everything was like learning as, as going. And as far as distributors, I was sending out screeners and I'm pushing out like to a bunch of distributors. I've had a uh, over 10 to 15 distribution companies reach out to me and I've still in the talks with a few of them at the moment and just trying to learn that whole thing. And it wasn't like I had somebody to reach out to, you know I mean? This is literally me just trying to figure it out. As far as film festivals go, it's in film festivals, actually playing in a Toronto international Nollywood festival that's happening this month. And I think it's the 30th or whatever it's going to be the 27th or the 30th is going to be playing in Canada out there. It's been in some festivals and it's won a few awards and that's, that's awesome. So I am doing a film festival route. As far as distribution goes, I've been, like I said, I'm talking to a lot of distributors, but at the same time, when you deal with it, as far as indie goes, it's a lot of stuff where I'm hearing where people like a lot of distribution companies just want to, they want to take your film in and then they want to put it on the back burner until they get a whole collection. And then it's like, we're going to push all of this out, but it ain't going to be until the end of 2022. And I'm not saying that that's wrong or right. That's just the reality of what this business is. And like with right now, this film being on Amazon, that was self-distribution. I just put it on Amazon because I know everybody that worked on this. You know, I mean, I want everybody to be able to get a chance to see what we created doing that. I am still talking to distribution companies because it's a lot more platforms that are, are, are reaching out that want to be able to have this film on there. And I'm definitely like learning as I go. But I'll say the big thing is, it's kind of like the and I feel like it's like, hey, like if you talk about Blade, like, oh, he's a daywalker. And I say it like that in the sense of uh, money to me is not the be all end all. So if I hear a distribution company say, Hey, we can get it over here and we're going to play over here. And this is going to make this amount of money. But like, first off, you don't know if it's going to make money. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> this is an independent film. You know what I mean? When you try to really just break down at who is Edward Green? He's not a known director. Who is Shamarki Purcell? He's not this A-list actor. <laughs> I don't have them, but you know what I mean? And it's nothing against like Shamarki. I love what he's done. And I'm like, he's going to be that big thing in the future. You might hear about Edward Green in the future, but at the moment, the reality of it is this is a low budget, micro budget film that we all are proud of. And when I talk to distribution companies, I'm not the person that care about the, when they try to throw out the money route to me, Oh, this is going to make this. And then this is going to be this, but we're going to take this. And then you got to have you. I'm just like, no, 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 relax. That's not what I'm doing this for. I would love to get it out there. And that's why I said, I'm still talking to other distribution companies. I was even just thinking about like different aggregators as well. So it's a lot of, as far as when it comes to the distribution, we are looking at, it's like two distribution companies that'll probably be going with, but that'll be something probably by the end of the year. We'll see. But my mindset is like, I just want to make sure people get to see it. And I know that a lot of independent filmmakers 
run into that problem where you just jump with a distributor and then they say, we're going to spend 60,000 on marketing your stuff. And then we're going to put this on your things. And you're basically paying that back. And then you're owing that. And I'm like, you know what? I already put money into this. So if you're saying that you're going to do make some key art for this stuff, when I already have key art, when you're going to make a trailer, when I already have a trailer, when you're going to put it on your social media, but with everybody that worked on this, with their social media followings and everything, it's close to a million. I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do that we already can't do on our own. You know what I mean? In the sense of other than getting us to this platform that you can't just go like and self distribute there. So it's kind of one of those things where I'm not looking in a, in a sense of, Oh, I want this thing to make a bunch of money. Yeah, it's a business and you definitely got to have that mindset too. But the reality of it is we completed something and I want to make sure that the world see it. And the best route and decision to do that, I don't think always is me leaning towards a place that says that, hey, you got to pay us $100,000 and we're going to get your stuff out there. It's like, okay, I see what you're saying. But Amazon, people look at Amazon. It's being watched. People are on these other platforms. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with the distribution. But it's I've done the film festival route and I still am too. We're still waiting for a few other ones. And it's more along the lines of just to try to get as many eyeballs on this thing as possible. Nice. Time for Final Five. Yeah. Yes, do it. All right, Ed, what's the first film you ever made? And how do you feel about it now? Oh, damn, I can't remember the first one. But I will say one, I made this short film with my brother and my wife. It's called Alone. And um, man, that was crazy. Whew. I think that looking at that is actually something that I want to do again. I want to do that short film again. But like with the knowledge I have now, because looking at it then is a lot of stuff that's wrong. But I do feel like the story of it was there. I'm acting in it too. Me and my older brother and my wife It's like us three. <laughs> It was on YouTube. I still have it. I just took it on private. I was like, hey, let's just stop right now. (laughs) But yeah, that was my first one. But I still I still like it. Like every now and then I'll still take a look at it and watch it because I know that where I was at the time, it was definitely something good, like for what I what what I knew back then. So what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? The best filmmaking advice I've ever received. I would probably say. This is one um, teacher and I usually call him a mentor because I hit him up every now and then. And he works at Academy of Art University, Lee Redmond. And he basically told me because, you know, I got to Academy of Art University after I did eight years in the Marines. So I'm not like an 18 year old kid in there. I was somebody a little bit older. So I'm just in there specific for this is what I have to learn. And he told me, he said, hey, I'm going to tell you right now, the industry is pretty fucked up. So when you want something, just understand that you have to go over there and create it. It's going to be a lot of blocks because everybody want to make sure that they can um, figure out a way to get their little fingers into it so they can make some money off of it. And you're doing all the work, but just understand that's the way the business rolls. So all I'm telling you, if you have something that you want to make or create, you have to figure out how you're going to make it and create it. I mean, so those things kind of stick to my head where I'm just like, Ooh, man, I got to, I got to do it myself. I got to make this happen. Not necessarily that you always have to do it by yourself, but that stick to my head. It's like, if you want it done, you have to go get it done. What are your goals as a filmmaker? Or do you have a specific landmark goal you want to hit? And I, I want to make a bunch of movies. <laughs> but I'll say, I'll say that some of them, my goals are, is I basically want to build an empire. And when I say empire, I'm just kind of like, I want to make sure I have a platform where a lot of independent filmmakers, where they can actually 
get out there and have you know I mean access to certain things as a creator where you can do it. It's almost like I like looking at like Tyler Perry. You know what I mean, I don't care too much for a lot of Tyler Perry's movies, but the mindset and what he's built of building up that entire thing of, you know what I mean? You can have a production studio. You can have this, you can do a lot. People can come over there and shoot on their, your, on your stuff that you don't have to deal with the main Hollywood in a sense of this is the way the structure works. And then you can just always deliver stuff to them and just kind of make your own cycle. That would be a goal is to build an empire where everybody can be able to do what we want to do and not be like tied down, but filmmaking and making more movies and being able to express myself through those stories is definitely the, the goal. If you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? Oh, how far are we going back? Or is this before the movie? What we're talking about? (laughs) However far you want to go. I would go back and this is definitely going to sound a little little strange, but my brother and everybody that's going to eventually listen to this is going to understand. I would go back to myself and I wouldn't tell me anything. And the reasons why I wouldn't tell me anything, because I love the fact that I got to figure it out. And that's how I got here. So, you know what I mean? I wouldn't tell me anything, but I would take a look. I'd just look at me. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. <laughs> just think that he don't know. But I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to give him the help because the reality of it is, it's not like it's going to be there. You know what I mean? I like, I like the, you got to figure it out still. You know what I mean? Fail and learn. So that's what be what I would say to that. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm an asshole to myself. <laughs> I just want to watch myself suffer for a yeah. little bit. <laughs> uh-huh. That suffer is what's going to bring up the happiness. Oh. So you got to do it. <laughs> Final question. Is making movies hard? Making movies is hard as fuck, but not impossible. You know what I mean? Not impossible. It's a lot of, a lot of routes you can take to get it done. Just like um, Article saying, hey, you went through and you, you find investors to get funding for it. And I went a different direction. And I heard some people can just do that. It's so many directions, you know what I mean? And ways to go through and uh, get it done. It's just that, are you willing to continue to see what's going to be the best way that's working for you? And through that, it's hard as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Where should people go if they want to find out more about you? Do you have a website? Like, you know, should they be going to Amazon right now to watch, pick a side? Like what should people be doing? Yeah. Well, if I say first off, yeah, go to the Amazon Prime video. It's up there for rent right now. That's Amazon Prime. And just type in pick a side. You'll see it come up and you can go there. You can also go to my website, elwardgreenfilms.com. And that I have little extra, you know, behind the scenes pictures of pick a side on there. I also have some other work. You know, I do consulting and things like that when it comes to people trying to get out there and make it happen with filmmaking. You can also see on Instagram, I got to be a little bit more active on it. You know, the social media thing is definitely a a different thing for me. I got to, got to, I got to try to act like I care about social media, but you know, I really don't. You can see me on there as well at Edward Green Films. And I'll say definitely go to Amazon and check out Pick a Side, leave an honest review. I would say leave an honest review. It's one thing, even on IMDb, leaves your feedback on there. Say that this movie was great. Say this movie sucked, but give a reason why. Cause I like to know, you know what I mean? I like to know good or bad. It's, it's always great to me. This was one of the best shows we've done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is um, amazing. You know what I mean, like I said, I watch y'all, y'all podcast. So you know, I've seen an episode and I like, like what y'all do. It lets me know that y'all real filmmakers. That's the thing. 
It's not like, oh, let me just go through the numbers. Hey, what's up? What's going on? It's it's real. It's authentic. <laughs> you know what I mean? When I say something, I can see it like, oh, I know that pain. Like, you know it because we've, we've been there. And that's the, the great thing about the camaraderie and the, the, the brotherhood as a, a creator. Everybody understands the pain and the suffering that we're going to go through to make these things happen. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, Liz, what did you remember from our conversation with that? Uh, I remember crying. I remember. I mean, as I like to talk about the show and I seem to be every week, I am menstruating right now. So let's put that into the conversation. But I think his story is so moving that I was just like staring at him through the Zoom screen and just like tears are welling up in my eyes. When you think about like why we're filmmakers, usually a lot of people are chasing the luxury or the excitement or the fame or the money. And there are core reasons why we're filmmakers outside of that. But the fact that he wants to provide an escape for like kids who are going through the hard times that he went through was just like, it just hit me so hard. I just was thinking about my kid and him having to be homeless. Like I was just thinking, and what would he do to get by through his imagination? And I just think Ed has the right attitude in life. And seems like a real cool man and a great hard worker. And I just like, I just want to support him. Yeah, no, he's a, it's a fantastic story. Really amazing what he's been through and like kind of his trajectory coming from like his background to going into the military and like having the experiences that he had there and like hearing a little bit about being, you know, doing executive protection, which I really wanted to talk about more <laughs> because I used to be a bouncer and like I had this fantasy of being like a bouncer for a rich person at some point and like being a private security guard. But I, I never did it obviously, (laughs) but hearing about that a little bit was like really, really cool. I was like, Oh man. I mean, I'm sure it sounds way cooler than it actually is, but, but yeah, what, what an amazing life this guy's had. I also, I didn't say it on the show just because I felt like it was a little like, like, who am I? But like his reason for making movies is similar to my reason, obviously without the you know, the poverty background, but just like, you know, when I was a kid, the thing that I loved more than anything was watching a movie. And if no matter like how bad school was going, if I was getting bullied or having problems with my brother or whatever it was like, you know, we could always escape into a movie. And that was like Mm -hmm. the thing I loved more than anything in life. That was like kind of my motivation for getting into filmmaking as well is just to provide that for someone else. It's like this, like completely like this fantasy world, you know, that like is so special and so magical. So it's really fun to to hear that, like, that's sort of also his motivation as well. And I, I felt like there was a shared kinship there, you know, also just like his process is like so inspirational. I really, I really feel like anyone who's ever said, oh, I can't do it because of this reason. I can't do it because of this reason. I can't make movies. It's like this guy, this episode is like basically saying you can do it no matter what. (laughs) There's really no excuse or reason that you could ever give that like why you couldn't make movies. It's an attitude. He has this attitude of conviction that he's just following his bliss. And I, I was talking to a friend, Josh, who listened to the show. So hi, Josh, if you're, if you're listening about what he said about success and distribution, about how he's essentially paying to play. Ed is paying to play because the experience of filmmaking is so meaningful to him and so beneficial to his emotional well-being that he doesn't even think about distribution. And normally I will like chastise someone who doesn't think about distribution, but I love his perspective in that like he got to have the magic on set and that's what's most important to him. And I love that. I love that the, the process is his priority, you know? Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to me to, to hear like 
where the movie ends up because like, yeah. you know, he put it out self distributed on oh, Amazon. I bit my tongue right that moment. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? Like, that doesn't seem like the best move forward if you want to consider distribution. But, you know, like, I guess everybody has their own process that they have to take and steps. And maybe this will work out really well for him doing it this way. Or maybe it won't. I don't know. And maybe he won't do it th- that this way next time. But I mean, I'm just curious, Liz, like from your perspective, like by making it available on Amazon like that, does it really do you feel like distributors are not going to be as interested in the movie because it's already out into the world? Well, and let, I mean, he did say that he has an Instagram, what is a social media following of at least a million for all the people involved in the film. So like, I don't have the research of the people who are on the screen and off the screen, but most likely if his film is a film that's a 50K feature for a first time filmmaker with no real track record, he's not going to be in demand anyway. So why not get it out as soon as possible to the audience that really cares and try to do things in an atypical way? However... If this film does have legs and could get to a mid-tier or above distributor, absolutely is cannibalizing everything by putting it on Amazon because they're not going to take a look at it if it's already out into the world. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm really learning a lot about distribution right now and just sort of going through the steps, you know. But yeah, definitely something I wouldn't consider. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even Vimeo, I, I was talking to a client the other day who, or a potential client the other day, and he's like, well, put it up on Vimeo because I just needed it out into the world. And I was just like, okay, well, don't tell anyone and take it down if you really, if you're going to go pitch to distributors. And he was like, well, we already have these press pieces on it. And I was like, well, that's the risk you're taking. You're, you're, you mm. have to protect your film because conventionally, the, you're going to make the most amount of money in the first few days to weeks of your release, right. unless you get you know licensed deals through like an SVOD company. But if it's just like a digital transactional release, like the most amount of money you're going to make is in that first few weeks. And then if you already release somewhere, the distributors are going to think, well, I'm not going to get anything from this film at all. So mm. they don't see the potential. Right. Right. Interesting. Well, Liz, I think it's time to move on to a news story that we have to talk about, right? Yeah. This week, we have an article featuring the latest news on the IATSE strike. This article is from Variety, and it is entitled, After IATSE strike is averted, Hollywood workers are split over agreement. It's not enough. And I would say a quick summary of this article is that it pulls in anecdotal responses to the fact that they came to an agreement and they ILT did not need to strike to prove their point to get the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers to agree to their proposed deal. But what's happening right now, I think, to sum up is there's a little bit of a blowback that they didn't ask for enough. Is that how you read it too, Ulrich? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I wanted to list out the things that they got. So they got, you know, achievement of a living wage for the lowest paid earners. Improved wages and working conditions for streaming, which I don't know what that means. A retroactive wage increase of 3% annually. That's huge. That's a big one. What else is there? There, this stupid 10 hour turnarounds. I know that was a big Yeah. Daily rest periods of 10 hours without exclusions, which seems like it should be 12 hours. I really don't understand why it's not 12. In fact, we were always taught that union protocol was 12 hours. Yeah. I always was like, it has to be 12. And if you're going to go underneath a 12 hour turnaround, that you have to give, like, you have to give warning and you have to ask everybody. Ask for grace. And yeah. yeah, basically. So, but then I guess there were people that were getting eight or nine hour turnarounds. So, that's horrible. I don't know. I mean, it's good that they're that they're limiting it to 10 as like the absolute low, but it should really be 12. So I can see why some people are annoyed with that. Weekend rest periods of 54 hours. That's very good. You know, and then the adoption of diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, which 
is also very vague. Like, what does that mean? (laughs) What are these mandates that they're putting forth? And yeah, yeah, what exactly? What? Yeah, yeah. So I was on set and we were in between takes and our production designer pulls out our phone and yells, we got the deal. We don't need to strike. And by the way, on the clapper, on the sticks, what do you call that? The clapper? What do you call the slate? On the slate. Sorry. (laughs) On the slate. (laughs) You could tell I'm a director. I like the clapper. I like like calling it the clapper. That's good. (laughs) On the clapper, we had like a little thing that said like at IA stories, like this was a non-union set, but all pro-union crew members. And anyway, she announced that she's like, we got the deal. We don't have to strike. Everyone's like, yay. The actors are yay. We're all so happy. We're thrilled. And then I remember sitting there being like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. I really wanted to stick it to them. And she, <laughs> I, like, I really wanted to that like the AMPT or whatever. I wanted them to really feel the impact of these thousands and thousands of people and right. how much they impacted their lives and livelihoods. Well, they probably argue that they did. And that's why they gave up like to them so much, probably, you know, probably, but, but I don't know. Yeah. The big things that they didn't get, which is what everyone's really upset about is the limit, like failing to limit how long each work day can be. Right. Like I think they were really pushing to have a, an hourly limit of like, we can't work past 16 hours, 14 hours, 18, uh-huh. whatever it is, but they didn't do that. And I think that is a really big missed opportunity because we've never, ha- I guess they've never had that. And it's so important because so many sets, like, you know, everyone I talked to, they're like, oh yeah, 14 hour day. 15 hour day, 16 hour day. It's like a normal thing. And it's like, oh, like we should make it. So you never work 18 hours. Agreed. You never work 16 hours, you know, like that just can't happen. And then like, you just have to figure it out as a producer, get get creative. So that's kind of a bummer, but hopefully in three years, they get that on on the thing. And then the other one is the residuals for streamers, which Mm -hmm. is like, I don't know. That seems like a pretty big one too. (laughs) That should have happened by now, but hasn't. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I guess it's good news in that negotiations were agreed to, but we'll see how long people stay compliant and excited about it. Right. Yeah. Only time will tell. Well, I don't know. I mean, do you think there's a chance that they would strike again within three years? Or do you think that like, no, we're good for three years until like the deal's up? I mean, I'm not in the union. I'm not going to the meetings, but I have to assume that to create a certain level of momentum to get to that breaking point takes a lot of organization coordination. And I think this was the moment and they got what they got. And I don't see a world where it's kind of like, I mean, my only example is like the Women's March. The Women's March in 2016 achieved such massive numbers because it was this breaking point of anger and frustration. And then every other women's march after that feels like it's like an event, but it's not this momentous time of potential culture change. So I think that was the moment. I think that's what they got. Yeah. Well, you know, I love to hear from people who are in IATSE. I'm not a member, obviously, and you're not either. So I feel like, yeah, let's hear like, how do you feel? Like, is this a good thing? A bad thing? Are you pissed off? Are you happy? Let us know. I mean, it's good that people are still working. I think that's a good thing. But at what cost, Liz? At what cost? cost. Sleep. So I can't hold back anymore. You finished shooting your short film this, this weekend. You've been talking about it for months. It's just this huge buildup. You finally did it. How do you feel? How did it go? Okay. Let me speak very honestly. I have a bit of a broken heart. And it's because I was on set and everything coalesced. The film looked good. 
the performances were there. I was proud of the writing. I didn't wince. The actors were so amenable. They listened to the direction. They were having a good time. Like everything was going and we didn't get all the shots we needed. We had to cut dramatically on day two. We cut all visual effects on day two by two specialty Ronin shots that we were going to do that we completely cut. And we had a Ronin, we like rented a Ronin and had an operator standing by. We were going to do this really cool Mike Flanagan Ronin shot where Sean was going to appear in a Ronin rotation, like in Hill House. I'm just like, I've never been more excited about specialty shots in my life because I've never actually given myself the freedom to dream what I wanted to see on screen. And I did that this time and we didn't get to do any of those shots. Wow. I had a shot for the, from the quiet man that I wanted to do that I'd been talking about for months. We had to completely cut it and we changed the three stage special effects makeup job to a one stage special effects makeup job. Oh, wow. So I think, I don't know if this is interesting to anyone else, but it's like a weird, it's like a good broken heart, if that makes sense. Like I've never, it's like a reflection that I cared so much that I'm hurt that we didn't get it, but that things were so good that it hurts. Does, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, does that? Well, I'm really curious to know like what you think contributed to not having time to get those shots. A few things. One is I mandated early on in the pre-production process that I wanted this to be a relaxed shoot where everyone was having fun. <laughs> and what I should have said is we still need to like schedule it. And we like, I, we scheduled it. We arranged it. We evaluated, we shot listed like multiple times, but I think I could have told the AD like that's out the door now, speed us up, you know? The AD is a wonderful woman. And she came to me on the day two, halfway through. And she's like, you're losing time. You're going to have to cut. But what I think is difficult is like, I don't think that's all on me. I think that should be me and the cinematographer and the scripty. And like, we should all work together and strategize. And I think speeding a shoot along isn't just speeding the director along. I think it's going to departments and making sure things are run in a very fluid way in an expedited way. I feel like I'm blaming the AD. It's not the AD's fault, but I think I set up an environment where that pressure was absent mm. and it slowed us down a little bit. And I also think we needed three days and we didn't have three days. We had two days. So I guess my, what I'm curious is like, did you have like a schedule like broken down by shot? Like, did you mm -hmm. know like, okay, I have to be And So mm -hmm. like, what was the scene that pushed you back was it just the first scene every of the day, scene. every scene, every scene from day one, we were behind. And so did you have to take stuff from day one and put it into day two? No, we, we made our day on day one. And actually we ended early on day one because there was nothing we could have done from day two because of set dressing and location. Uh, so we just ended like a half hour early on day one. And then there was just too much to do on day two. And there was mm. nowhere to overflow it to, but Okay. So like part of me is just like really brokenhearted because I think there's something really special happening and I hate that I didn't get everything I wanted. But the other part of it is, is that I, I actually, for someone who talks about how much she hates being on set, it was heaven. I was in, <laughs> I was in heaven. It was the most fun ever. It was magical. And now I'm a junkie and I just want to go on the next shoot. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. I mean, I, I guess I'm just curious, like, were there moments where 
in my movie, when I was behind, what I would do is I would talk to the DP and I would talk to the production designer and I'd be like, okay, what can we do to make this happen faster that, that we need to do? Like, what can we do to, to, yeah. you know, whatever strategize. And like, basically the DP and I would, would scene by scene, just cut shots down and just make the scene shorter, you know, and less coverage throughout the day until like kind of everything becomes smaller so that you have time to do everything that you need to do and like save time for for the rest, which would sometimes work, sometimes wouldn't work, you know, but did you guys have those kinds of conversations? At lunch, we all sat together, me, the scripty, the visual effects coordinator, supervisor, the DP, the first AD, we all sat together and we just cut things. And then in my mind, there were like tiers of things that I was willing to let go of. So I just started offering things at that moment that I would, that Mm -hmm. we would cut. And then as we kept on going, we just kept on running out of time. And I, finally, I came up with, I got rid of an entire scene and I folded it into the scene we were working on by just mm. adding a few shots. So like I came up with a lot of the solutions informed by everyone else and their work. But I think the hardest thing is that we were essentially shooting 360. Mm. And if this were traditional coverage where it was just there was a 180 and we were just trying to get coverage of the scene and there were just two people, that would have been fine. It was three people around a circular altar because it was a witch movie. And then there was a fourth person in the scene, too, that needed coverage. And we crossed the line twice. So we needed enough coverage from either side of the line. And there was just a lot of different people to get coverage on. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, had we done it again, sure, I would have prioritized things differently. But ultimately, I would just have done a third day because mm-hmm. I think I don't want to lose. There was a certain point on set where things were really tense and we could tell we were running out of time. And I pulled out my cinematographer and I said, I just want to tell you, you're doing amazing. I, I want to work. I want to do everything with you. You were wonderful. That's all. Because it was more important to me that she was... And I told her, I was like, fuck the specialty shots. Let's just cover the scene and focus on performance because we don't have time for the specialty shots anymore. Like, Let's just make sure we have what we need to make a short film at this point. And I think there could have been a world where you know, maybe we could have reorganized things and sped things up and maybe there was another strategy, but I wanted everyone to be happy. And I wanted just to get faces in the can instead of set pieces and stunts. And then you didn't go over at all on your second day. Uh, not technically. So like four to five people, including me, Sean and production design. And then like our PAs were in the location driveway from one to 2 AM. And technically our wrap was at one. So all of the G and E crew was out by their mm-hmm. time that they need. And I think that's what you look, you just don't want the camera crew and the genie crew to hate you and yeah. you want to go late with them. So like what we did is we just got them out as soon as possible. And then the rest of us kind of picked up the dregs. And you never thought or considered or felt comfortable with the idea of like asking everybody to work an hour over or I two kept hours. On, I kept on asking my producer, I was like, could we, was there something we could do? Could we talk to the location? And she's, she took on the position that I had been taking for weeks up until the shoot, which is we're so close to a strike. We can't go over. Hmm. So we didn't want to ask for grace and mm-hmm. looking back, it would have been really nice to just try. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I guess it's interesting. It's like all these relationships, right? It's like your relationship with the producer, the producer's relationship with the crew. It's like all these things yeah. are so important, you know, and like, I'm really lucky that like usually on my, my movie sets, like I've known everybody for five to six years, you know, for the most part, maybe not everybody, but most people. So it's like asking them to work over. I kind of feel comfortable doing it, you know, yeah. and obviously if they say no, they say no, it's fine. But it's just, I know it can be very touchy when it's not people, you know, so well. <laughs> Yeah. And the thing is, we had a really hard time trying to find crew because there were so many union productions going on that we had trouble getting non-union crew that maybe they were union in one capacity, but work non-union in another capacity. And so we we had trouble crewing up. So Liz was working with a bunch of people that she had never worked with before, with Mm -hmm. like one or two exceptions. And I think that was part of it too, where they were really loving and sweet and kind and positive and probably would have said yes, to be honest. But it was the optics that everyone was afraid of. Right. And technically we could have gone to one thirty shooting because of the half hour lunch, mm-hmm. but we didn't because that was also, I guess it, it back to the IOTC strike. We really didn't want to trespass against people the weekend before the potential strike. And so we didn't. And yeah, maybe there was a world where, or were they close friends? They would have done it for me, but then should I even ask for that? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So final question in the end, like, do you feel like you have the movie in the can that you want to make? And like, did you get like, even though you, you shortened the visual effects, the special effects, did you still get the special effect that you've been dying to get all, all, all these months? We have to do a pickup day and it's going to be not at the location. It's going to be in front of a green screen and it's going to pick up all the things. What's amazing is the guy who owns the camera is my DIT and colorist. Oh. The guy who owns a lot of the lighting and gear is his like business partner. So like we have access to a lot of things. Like he is the Dana Dolly too. Like we have a lot of things that we could get for a one day shoot. The performances, I don't have any inserts. Mm. So I think, I think we need another day. So (laughs) I don't have everything. I I feel very weird saying that I have a full film right now. I don't think I do. Well, are you going to start editing it and then find the missing pieces and then, and then fill it in? Yeah. That makes the most sense. Yeah. Awesome. Well, congratulations. You Thank know, you. It, I don't want to like <laughs> say, oh, wow, whatever. Like, I'm, I'm glad you had a hard time, but it, it just makes me feel better about my hard times I've had on my set. Like I had a lot of late days, a lot of cutting scenes and cutting things out of the whole movie oh. and shots and ideas and perform and everything, you know? So it makes me feel like, okay, we're all, we're all, we all experienced this. Even the, the amazing Liz who has made all the, the two features nice. and has all the experience. Like, yeah, she's got the same struggles that we do. Very sweet. I, it got you. And it brings me back to when you were shooting the alternate and you were cutting things. And I was like thinking, yeah, yeah, you cut things. Like I didn't really think about the emotional ramifications of what you're going through, but I really do feel like a piece of me is missing right now. And I know exactly what you were feeling then. And it's crazy. We're emotional, sensitive beings who care about these projects so much. Yeah. Walking away from that, it's like, I just want to get better at writing because I feel like a lot of the stuff that we I wrote into the script ended up getting cut and didn't make it in the movie anyways. And so if I had known what I was going to cut in the end, I could have rescheduled the, you know, so like, I just feel like, yeah, it all comes down to the writing and the better that you are at that, then the better your shoot's going to go. So, yeah. 
So if you want to send us a question, comment or suggestion, please do so to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast, YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Thank you to Ed Green, Edward Green, not Eddie Green, for coming on the show. Thanks to our new editor, Jeff Vrymoot, for doing all the editing. And thanks to everyone for listening and talk to all y'all next week. Tears are gonna fall. Rolling in the deep. Not yet. No one can hear me.